our next story comes from George Sproul. And George, this is your first time telling a story and we're looking forward to hearing it. This is a remembrance. My sister may not agree with it, but um, I think it's I think it's as close as I can remember. And it's about it's about a pudding. It was always late October and always began with the book. It once had a burgundy coloured cover, which was long faded and flower covered, so that now it looked more like an old leather shoe that had been once too many times out in the rain. And the spine was much sellotaped, brown layer upon brown layer. She would lift it out from behind the big white bowl of the Kenwood mixer and meticulously go through the list of ingredients to make sure she had enough of everything. The recipe heading said plum pudding. And it always puzzled me because no plums ever featured in it. But she could never tell me why. Just one of those things. The checking process involved going through the array of tall red metal tins with gold lids that held all the fruit. Currants, raisins, sultanas, together with almonds, peel, little plastic pots of glassy cherries all glued together, flour, eggs, sugar, spices, and baking powder. There were always four puddings to be made. Two of the puddings were for us to use over the holiday, and one would be taken to my nana and Derry via a snowy December apocalyptic car journey on the old road over Glen Sheen. That leaves one pudding, and we'll come to that in a bit. The puddings call for two strange and exotic things. From the store cupboard, she lifted out a taffy box with a red, yellow and blue cover bearing the words, the original Atora shredded beef suet, and a picture of three round objects, a bit like potatoes floating in what was clearly gravy. What on earth this stuff was doing in a Christmas pudding completely defeated me. However, she told me it was for binding everything together and that shut me up. The other thing came in a small glass bottle. There was never usually any evidence of its existence in the house and frequently it arrived via my father in a little brown paper bag with the top of the bag twisted tight so that the bottle wouldn't slip out. Crucially, this also meant that you couldn't see what the bottle contained. Eventually, I discovered what it was. We were out one afternoon, down the Castlereagh Road on the 31 trolley bus, to the fish shop with the sawdust on the floor, to the greengrocers, and then into the home bakery. When events took a bizarre turn, she headed across the road and suddenly I realised she was making tracks for the Templemore Arms pub, that strange triangular building at, the, at John Long's corner. It was known as the Blue Bar and boasted that it was the only pub in the city with three addresses because it had a door in each leg of the triangle, Castle Ray Street, Templemore Avenue and the Beersbridge Road. Like lots of local landmarks, it's now demolished and an empty wedge of pavement. Now, you need to understand this was my Donegal-raised Presbyterian teetotal temperance league advocate mum, and she was head heading steadfastly towards the door of a public house, trailing me with her. I knew pubs as bad places for grown-ups and that we were supposed to steer well clear of them. Well, I have to stand outside, I asked. Not sure at all why she was going in. 
and more than a bit worried that she might not re-emerge. No, just come on, I'm only going in for something, she replied. And then we went through the narrow door with the brass handle and the odd coloured glass strip window. To be honest, I have little memory of the inside other than it was quite dim, afternoon quiet and smelt really weird. She went up to the bar and I heard her ask for the required item. Can I have a quarter bottle of brandy, please? Aye, is Hennessy all right? came a man's voice from somewhere above my head. Yes, thank you. It's just for the puddings, she said, as if some justification was needed. Brandy? There was brandy in the puddings? Seriously? She paid, dropped the bottle into her handbag out of sight, and quick as that, we were outside and on the bus. The preparation and steaming day would follow very soon after. Four chunky white ceramic pudding bowls waited in line on the table. She got the biggest dinner plate she had, laid it on a sheet of greaseproof paper and drew round it. All in all, she would cut out eight circles, double thickness for each bowl. These would be set to one side, together with a ball of hefty white cotton string. Then the alchemy began. The magic process of weighing out all the ingredients carefully, systematically, four times over. Scones and buns were never weighed out. Years of practice meant she just knew instinctively how much was enough. But this was different. This had to be just exactly right. I would watch as it all went into the brown baking bowl and fold it together with a long-handled, bleached, out-of-shape wooden spoon. The same spoon, incidentally, that she used to dispense rapid stinging chastisement on the backs of our legs if the child of our childhood transgressions merited it. But today it was Merlin's wand conjuring ambrosia from another world. In went the brandy, golden and smelling of vine knew not what, the dregs clinging to the side of the small glass as it slipped into the bowl. Do you want to stir the mixture? She asked. I climbed on a stool, squared up to the bowl and took hold of the spoon handle. The mixture was heavy for me to turn over, so she closed her hand over mine and we stirred slowly and evenly together, whilst all the while the heady aroma of fruit, brandy and spices carried me away to another place entirely. Getting a seven-year-old high vaping from a pudding mix is probably not what she intended, but that was absolutely what was happening. I got down and watched as she tipped it, each mix into its greased white pudding bowl, set the greaseproof paper on the top and smoothed it down round the edge. She cut a length of string for each one and wound it round the lip at least three times and started to tie it off. Here, hold your finger on the knot. I reached up and poked my finger where she indicated and pressed as hard as I could whilst she completed the loop. The imprint of the string remained on my fingertip until the blood flowed back into it. That was two significant contributions to the process I'd now made. She repeated the process with a tea towel around each bowl and again, I was head of knots. The steaming process took 
hours. Kettle upon kettle of water was boiled to top up the gurgling pots and constant checking to make sure they didn't boil dry. Eventually the puddings were lifted out and left to cool, then set up into a high cupboard and left to mature. Come Christmas day, a last hour of steaming was needed and then the pudding was ready to be turned out onto a plate. This was a ritual of exhilarating drama. She cut the string and pulled away the greaseproof paper, all brown with the steam and the juices from within. The aroma when I inhaled was truly astounding. If the frankincense and myrrh stuff that the wise men brought to the baby in the manger didn't smell as good as this, then he had been seriously shortchanged. The pudding slid cleanly from the bowl and sat on the plate in perfect shape, squat, demerara dark and smouldering steam. I devoured my share and it was over all too quickly, at least until we did it again on Boxing Day. But the drama wasn't just as intense this time. Reruns seldom are. Except for one last glorious throw of the dice. The fourth pudding was still in the cupboard. And there it remained, maturing and intensifying in flavour until just about a week before she began the process all over again. It was kept for my October birthday tea, when in a triumphant distillation and foretaste of what was to come some weeks later, it was dished out. Just as squat, demerara dark and smouldering steam in celebration of another passing year of my life. I don't think I had a star, shepherds or singing angels appear when I was born. They weren't a common sight in the Jubilee Hospital in the 50s. And to be honest, I don't think I ever asked my mum if any strange men from faraway places turned up bearing gifts. But then again, she never told me where she got the recipe for the pudding from. Oh, that's such a lovely story, George. Thank you so much. Thank you. I'm sure, she, I'm sure people will be putting their own memories of their own Christmas <laughs> yeah. puddings in the chat. Just want to let folks know to use the chat and to send messages to the storytellers, to Dave and to George. George, that's, do you continue to make uh, puddings yourself? Uh, sadly and, and, and badly, no. I'm afraid ours comes from m and <laughs> Although I did, I did get contact my sister. She has the recipe book. Oh, uh, it's kind of almost like a filofax version now because yeah. it's collapsed and you know. Yeah, but she sent me the recipe, so I'm I'm determined at some stage I'm going to take it on. Um, you know because it, it's it's there in her beautiful copper plate. You know, uh, handwriting. It's an immaculate beautiful. thing. So, but yes, I'd love and to try it sometime. Yeah. yeah, and does your sister know where your mother might have gotten the recipe from? With yeah, that, I think the recipe came from Satan. my grandmother who got it from her grandmother. You know, yeah. it's, it's it's just been a kind of handed down thing. So. But. <laughs>